this afternoon, we're looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 52, question and answer 127. If you have your hymnals, this is found on page 563 and 64, but I'll read that with you. The question is, 127, what is the sixth petition? Our answer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, in ourselves, we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. Will you, therefore, uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that in this spiritual war we may not, not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory? Beloved children of God, as we examine this sixth petition, I want to begin in the proper place. That is by pointing us to the one who not only commanded us to pray this, but the one who lived it. Jesus, we hear in Hebrews 4 verse 15, was tempted in every way as we are. The difference, of course, is that he never sinned. But the divine Son of God, God in our flesh, experienced the tug of sin. He understood the pull and the power of temptation. He was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, we read, uh, recorded for us in Matthew 4, when he was weakened by fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And even then, he refused to use his divine power. Tempted by Satan to feed his hunger by his own power, he refused to satisfy his physical needs and give in to the temptation of the devil. Satan then tempted him to test God. He didn't. He was tempted with fame and fortune. All the wealth of all the worlds would be yours if you fa fall down and worship me. He did not. Again and again, he responded to the evil one with the promises and the commands of Scripture. And then later on in his ministry, Jesus again, as he faced temptation, he showed himself to be strong in the power of the Lord. He refused to be made king when all the people of Israel came and wanted to do so. He did not give in to the flattering words of many at many times in his life. He refused to take the easy road at any point. At his arrest, when he could have called out to his father and received the protection of legions of angels, he stayed the course. And even on the cross, at the urging of one of the thieves, that he could save himself, save yourself and us, Jesus did not. And so Jesus was amply qualified to command us now to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He lived what he taught. Well, how did he do it? Well, certainly Jesus lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, but a careful reading of the Gospels revealed that Jesus also spent much time in prayer. And so this command is coming from one who lived this out, who practiced it every day many times in his life, for long periods in his life. And so must we listen to this command, and as we face temptation, we too must pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, for the sake of the boys and girls here, let's explain what temptation is. What is temptation? Is temptation the same as sin? No, not exactly, quite often. Uh, temptation is more the desire, 
the inclination to do what we know is wrong according to God's Word. Um, temptation is, uh, is the enticement or the longing to do what God forbids. Temptation is not the same as sinning most often, that is, committing the act. It's not the same thing. It's not to be equated unless, of course, we're, we've deliberately placed ourselves in a position where we can be tempted, and then the, the temptation itself is a, is a sin that we've committed. Or if we have knowingly not taken necessary precautions, then we would be guilty of sin in the sense that we have placed ourselves in the path of temptation. Otherwise, temptation is to be distinguished from the act of sinning. It can lead us to sin if we don't deal with it properly, and that's why Christ commands us to pray in light of ongoing temptation. That's our theme this afternoon. Christ commands us to pray in light of ongoing temptation. We'll look at two points. In the first place, our weakness, and in the second place, God's strength. But we see in the first place that Jesus commands us to pray in light of ongoing temptation because of our weakness. And beloved of God, we have to start there. We have to start with our weakness, with this honest confession that we have laid out here wonderfully in the Heidelberg Catechism. We're confessing that these words, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one, means, this is what we're saying, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. And so listen to those words and let them sink in. Not even for a moment can we stand on our own. And, and if we think about it as, as very proud human beings, it's a shameful confession, isn't it? It's embarrassing. We, we don't like to think of ourselves in those terms. We like to think that, yeah, if temptation comes, we're going to stand. But the honest confession of the Christian is that in and of myself, if God did not keep His hand upon me, I would be lost very, very quickly. If God was not restraining us from sin at every moment, we would certainly be lost. The greatest saint that ever lived, the most holy man or woman can take no credit for resisting sin or resisting temptation. Let's think of a few biblical examples from biblical history. How many were tempted? That is, the thought or the desire was born in them and they succumbed to sin. We can go all the way to, back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve, tempted in the Garden of Eden. Hath God really said? And we know how that turned out. And then there was their son Cain, who was warned by God himself that sin was crouching at his door, but he would not heed the warning of God, and evil, the evil thought gave birth to murder of his own brother. Or think of a man like David. David is called in the Bible a man, the man after God's own heart, the author of many moving psalms of praise and confession. And David, at what should have been the height of his power and fame, succumbed to temptation, gazing upon the beauty of another man's wife. His son Solomon multiplied his sins a hundredfold. Well, think of all the kings in the Old Testament who were called by prophet after prophet to repent, and they would not. Or we don't even have to think back that far, just look at ourselves. 
Our own daily experience demands, if we're honest, that we say amen to this confession. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. And if we're not able to make such a confession, we have to watch it that the sin of pride is not leading us to say these kinds of things or to think these things. And we should listen to the Apostle Paul's warning in verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We have to realize how weak we are in and of ourselves. In our scripture reading, the, the Apostle Paul points us to Old Testament Israel. And again, these were God's chosen people whom he had brought out of Egypt from slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He had covenanted with them, saying to them, I shall be a God to you, you shall be my people. He had exalted them above all the nations. He had given them his law like no other nation on the earth. He had made promises to them. He had given them sacrifice, uh, the sacrifices for atonement of their sins. Paul reminds us that they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and through the sea. And here he's recounting the crossing of the Red Sea when God distinguished them from Egypt and showed that these are my people. No one can touch my beloved. And then God in the wilderness fed them with manna. And he gave them water out of a rock in the wilderness. And he led them by his Holy Spirit. And yet, what do we read of Israel time and time again. They sinned against God at every opportunity. They desired evil things. They longed and craved the food of Egypt. They despised what God had given them. They even at one point made golden calves and bowed down and worshipped them. With the strength they gained from God's sustaining grace, they got up to revel and indulge in wickedness and lewdness. They engaged in immorality at one point with the women of Moab, and 23,000 died in a plague on a single day. Again and again, they, they complained and grumbled as they traveled through the desert. So that at one point, the Lord sent fiery serpents, and many of them died. What's the point of all of this, of all these examples? The point is this, if it was possible that human beings, even redeemed ones, could restrain themselves from sin or fight against temptation just out of thankfulness to God, then you would think that Israel would have done it. But they did not because they could not. Neither could Adam and Eve, nor Abraham, nor Moses, nor David, nor Solomon, nor any other human being who ever lived. Even the Apostle Paul himself and where could we think of a more holy man than the Apostle Paul? Even the Apostle Paul anguishes over his sin in Romans 7, wretched man that I am, who will save me from the body of death? By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. Honesty and reality, just being realistic, demands that we make this confession. Temptation is a powerful foe, one that we by ourselves and in ourselves cannot conquer. We cannot, without dire consequences, overestimate our own strength or underestimate the strength of our enemies. As hard as we try, as much as we may even intend to or desire to live godly lives, looking to ourselves to overcome temptation 
is really a fool's errand. The devil, the world, and our own flesh are just too strong, too sneaky, too appealing to us. And as the Catechism reminds us, and this is our confession, they never stop attacking us. The devil comes using today the same tactics that he used on our parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, planting seeds of doubt, trying to get us to compromise, encouraging us to find some kind of a loophole so that we can go ahead and sin, some way to justify ourselves. The devil, in a, in a manner of speaking, whispers in our ear, go on, Christian, aren't you just a sinner? You can't help yourself. Hey, isn't that why the Son of God had to come die for you? Because you're a sinner? Go ahead. What's stopping you? Hey, there's forgiveness. You can always pray after the fact. Or you might say, well, hey, remember, you're not under law but under grace. Go ahead and sin freely. Hey, people are doing much worse things than you. You can't help yourself. You deserve this. You can always ask for forgiveness later. And sad to say, the attacks never stop. Ask any Christian in their 80s, 90s, who have been a, a, a believer, a saint, a pilgrim for many, many years in their lives. It never stops. And then there's the enemy of the world. And by the world here, boys and girls, we mean all in creation that work against God and His church and His Christ. We're talking about the culture around us in every age, that yields to its own desires and inclinations and says to the church, join us. We can always use more. And because that's its most powerful weapon, right? The, the culture, the world, the call to conform, be like us. Why do you want to stand out? You know, the, the world would even say to us, well, you know, it's okay if you want to call yourself a Christian and you want to dress up and you want to go to church every Sunday and, and carry around your Bible and, and sing your songs and all that. That's fine with us. But that doesn't mean you have to be different. You can dress like us. You can watch the same TV shows and movies like us. You can enjoy the same pleasures like us. You can indulge in the same kinds of entertainment like us. Come on now. Who are you hurting? Why stick out like a sore thumb? Hey, by the way, says the world, didn't your Jesus himself say, judge not lest ye be judged? Who's going to judge you? See, the world never stops attacking us, calling us to act and to live like the rest. The world will even go so far as to make us feel like the weirdos because we don't behave and believe like everyone else. The pressure is on, and even it has intensified more and more in our day to adopt the world's methods, the world's principles, the world's attitudes. You know, the, 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 the thinking of the world today is pretty much this. There's probably no God, so give your head a shake and join us. Uh, trust science. Tr science is something we can see. We can look under a microscope and see things. Join us and help us to fight climate change and racism and bigotry. You want religion? There it is. Come join us. And let's celebrate everybody for who they are. You are your own savior, you know. That's the herald call of the world. 
especially today. But what does Christ say? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And whose voice are we going to listen to? And then there's one more enemy that never stops attacking us, and that is our very flesh. And this last enemy is the most dangerous because it is what you would call the traitor inside the fortress. The traitor inside the fortress. Our own desires will open the door and sneak the enemy inside. Because of our very own flesh, the things we want to do, we don't do. The things we don't want to do, we keep on doing. It's a shame, again, a shameful admission, congregation. But even for the saints in Christ, our own flesh, and the catechism rightly calls it a sworn enemy dedicated to our downfall. You want some examples? You ever had it where you're thinking about going back to church for the second service and your flesh says, really, twice? Do you really need to? Where does it say that in the Bible? You've worked so hard this week. Come on now. Take a nap. Take a rest. This is your day too. Restrain from yourself from fornication, adultery. Why? Everybody's doing it. God made you this way with these urges, with these desires. Why restrain yourself? Pray again, read the Bible again. I'm so, you're so tired, and that's so boring. Our very flesh can work as our enemy. Our own flesh makes us doubt at times, causes us to backslide, shuts our mouth when we should be speaking up, or opens our mouth when we should really be silent. It causes us to look and to lust. It causes us to be proud and selfish and covetous and hateful. It brings, as it did with Old Testament Israel, discontent and grumbling. Our very flesh crave the things that God forbids. And so there's no doubt, beloved. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. And our enemies never stop attacking us. And that's why Jesus rightly teaches us to pray in light of our weakness. Every day we need to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, because we understand and we acknowledge that weakness. We have to. But as our Savior commands us to pray in light of ongoing temptation, His desire is that we would also recognize God's strength. In our catechism answer, we confess this, Will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. Jesus teaches us to pray here, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, because He knows that our Heavenly Father, while we are so weak, our Heavenly Father is willing and able to help us as we face temptation. And in this we find hope. We have to recognize in whom is that hope. The, the, the choice is really a no-brainer. Trust in self, you go down like the Titanic. Trust in God, and you sail on. Amidst the stormy winds and rough waters, 
It may not always be smooth sailing, but as we trust in God our Father, we will make slow but steady headway until we reach the port He has destined for us. We will attain complete victory. And so, as we face the temptations of this life, that is the ongoing attacks of our sworn enemies, our flesh, the devil, and the world, we have to pray that God, our all-powerful God, would uphold and make us strong with the power of His Holy Spirit. We have to be praying this daily and continuously. Any other way, trying to fight against temptation in and of ourselves is folly. Paul writes in Galatians 5.16 that we should walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He reminds us in Galatians 5.23 that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Jesus, again in John 15, in that wonderful chapter, again, we heard that this morning, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we need to look to our Heavenly Father to make us strong by the power of His Holy Spirit. We have to be seeking His help. Every day is a day in which we must be praying, Father, make me strong today. Keep me from temptation, and if it is your will to allow temptation into my path, give me strength by your Holy Spirit that I would stand firm. That's the only way we can continue in this life. And and notice that we don't pray here that God would whisk us away. We pray that He would strengthen us. He would make us strong. Spiritual warfare is something we actually have to be engaged in. It's good for us. God will even use it for our good quite often. And so we don't pray that God would whisk us away from the situation. We pray that He would make us strong, that we would stand fast in it. Now, here's another question. If we are praying to God for His help, how exactly does He help us? Is it that the Holy Spirit will just wave His magic wand and make our enemies disappear? Of course not. Here's how it works. When we face temptation, this is something we have to learn because it's very, very important. When we face temptation, the Spirit comes. We call upon the Spirit, deliver me, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. The Spirit comes and He uses and He draws upon our accumulation of scriptural knowledge. That's the Bible that we have imbibed and ingested The Scripture comes and He draws from what we have learned, which, by the way, places the responsibility of filling that, let's call it the warehouse of our mind, with Scripture. The responsibility is ours. Because imagine then, if we are faced with a serious temptation and the Spirit goes to the warehouse and all He finds there is the only verse we've ever memorized in the Bible, which is Jesus wept, or a little wine is good for the stomach, and that's all he finds there, then what have we done? Oh, we're in serious trouble because we have just emptied the Spirit's hand. Imagine, for instance, if we're tempted to steal, and we know nothing about who Ananias and Sapphira is. Imagine if we're tempted by sexual immorality and we've never read or we're not familiar with Proverbs 5. Or we're encouraged to overindulge in in mind-altering substances or alcohol or, or, you know, alcoholic drinks. The temptation is to do these things, to overindulge, and, and and the wisdom of Proverbs 23 is not part of our memory bank. 
Imagine if the temptation is to gossip or slander, and James 3 is just a vague memory of something we heard in a sermon five years ago. If we're facing a temptation, a situation where we're tempted to respond with anger and vengeance, and we don't know what 1 Peter 2 teaches, then we have taken away all the weapons that the Spirit can, help, can use to help us fight against temptation. We've given Him nothing to draw on. We've unloaded His gun, if, if we can put it in, in, in our terms. And so we need to be growing in our study and our knowledge of Scripture. We need to be filling the Spirit's armory. And I hope you get that, that point. At the very least, we should, at the very least, we should have the Ten Commandments memorized, but we should also be growing more and more in our knowledge of the Bible. And that should be expanding constantly. Listen to these very comforting words as well in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and we'll end with this. Paul writes, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so here's another way that the Lord assists us in our times of trouble, in our times of temptation. Even as we experience the temptations that come from the devil, the world, and our flesh, our God always remains faithful. He will never, He promises that to His elect, He will never allow us to fall so far that our salvation would be lost. He promises that He will always provide an exit door, an escape, a door through which we may run. We just need to look for that door. God promises it in His Word. Wherever you find yourself in temptation, I will provide an exit, a way of escape. You need to look for it. You need to take it. You need to run through it. It could be the voice of a friend giving you some good Christian counseling. Maybe it's even a stranger who might say something to you, and you need to listen. Is this, is this the escape, escape door that God is providing? Maybe it's just your own conscience nagging you. Maybe you're thinking, well, if I do this, how, how disappointed will people be? Maybe it's the fear of the law. God will always provide a door. Take it. Beloved, we don't have to give in to temptation. We don't have to fit in. We don't have to do what everyone else is doing. There's always a choice. There's always a way out. God provides it. And know this as well. The main reason that we will never be lost is because we have a Savior in heaven who prays for us. Like Peter, Satan des desires to sift every one of us like wheat. But Jesus prays. Thank God for your Savior. In Romans 8.34, we hear that He is at the right hand of God interceding for us. When we are faithless, He is faithful. Let us heed the command of the One who, who overcame every temptation, and let us look to His strength in our weakness. Amen. Psalm 124 is our song of response.